Hello besties! Welcome back to another episode of the Spooky Ripped Jean Mom. Woo, has it been a crazy month? I again thought I had a plan with the podcast and that did not happen. We have had to do so much stuff for our PCS that I have been so tired. On top of that, I am still working full time. And, like, a lot of people normally when they are about to PCS quit their job the month before so they can get everything ready. Nope, I'm not leaving because I love the people that I work with and I've been procrastinating leaving. Um, I don't leave until the 8th and we move the 13th, which also I'm a little upset with Bailey because he's having us move on Super Bowl Sunday and I feel like that's un-American, but whatever. So, it's been really hectic. Paisley's first birthday is coming up. It's so right now I'm recording this Thursday the 3rd and her birthday's next week in literally seven days and I am not ready to have a one-year-old it's freaking nuts to me and other than that with the move um we met with our realtor today and kind of got an estimate for the house we definitely need to change our carpets having four animals really kicked our carpets ass not even gonna lie so and I have a lot of laundry to do I also have to go through my clothes and figure out what I don't want I have things of paisley's that I want to sell and get rid of so we don't have to take it on the move so it's been a really hectic month um but I'm really glad because I've been telling myself that I'm going to take time for me and make sure that I post my podcast so I'm really really excited to be starting that today and I do think that this one's going to be a two-parter, but who knows? I may get to like the 30-minute mark and be like, mm, we can do, we can keep going. So we'll see. I hope you guys had a great start to your new year. Um, it's now February. Um, so yeah, I just really hope that everyone's doing well. You guys are meditating, working out, hitting your new year's resolutions, whatever you're doing. If you listen and you live in Texas, I hope you're doing okay. I am with the snow that's come in. If you live in the Midwest, I'm so, so sorry. I get to come back and visit home in a couple weeks, and I'm really hoping that the snow's gone because I don't want to deal with that. Also, I'm really sorry if you end up hearing Bailey in the background. He's playing video games. I... He's in a completely different room. And now why is it that with men... They play video games and they feel the need to yell. No matter what. Even if it's not something to get yelled about. Like they just yell when they talk. And he says it's his headphones. And I'm like, you... That's no excuse. There's no excuse for it. So, if you hear him, I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry. So, we're finally to Delaware. Which I say finally because every single time someone asks me which state I'm researching, I say Delaware. I did it all throughout Connecticut. Like, I, I, so sorry if you're from Connecticut, but I, for some reason, just could not fathom the fact that Connecticut is a state. Um, so yeah, no, I for sure would say Delaware every single time, and now we're finally on Delaware, so no one can come at me anymore. Also, I am going to do this one differently because, um, in the research I was doing, they would find victims, but they couldn't figure out who it was until they 
did like a sting op. So I'm actually going to start with our victims and kind of work backwards from what I normally do. I normally talk about who did it, all that stuff, then the victims, and then the trial. But I'm going to start with the victims first. So we actually have a total of five victims in this one. Our first one was Shirley Ellis. She was 23 years old and she was a nurse. Um, she left work on November 29th of 1987. Um, she worked at the Wellington Hospital where she was helping out with AIDS patients because 80s is when the whole like AIDS epidemic started. Uh, and she... A lot of these victims, just as I know, a lot of them have to do with hitchhiking. Um, so she was going along Route 40, which is going to come up a lot, and she was just trying to find a ride home from work. Her body was found along by two boys. Along the road by two boys. Could you imagine being a kid and stumbling upon that? Ooh, no, 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 no. She was found partially nude, her legs were spread out, and she was found with her hands and feet tied with adhesive tape. There were no signs of sexual assault, but her killer had abused her severely with her um, tying a string around her neck. He also hit her in the head with a hammer before she died. Our second victim is Catherine DeMiro. She's 31 years old, and she was divorced, and... It was found in a lot of research that she was a sex worker, and on September 6th, I don't know why I said September 6th, June 28th of 1988. Maybe I should stop recording these in the, at night, but like if I don't record it at night, I have to try to do it when Paisley's asleep during nap time, and that's a little bit more difficult, so we're just going to have to deal with loopy tire pain. Um, this was seven months after Shirley was murdered, and she was also seen walking along Route 40. But it wasn't determined if she was just looking for a ride or if she was out along the route working. At 625 the next day, so June 29th, Construction workers found her body at their construction site. This time there were no signs of sexual assault, but she had also been killed by hammer blows to the head as well as strangulation. Her body, though, was covered in blue fibers and she had also been tied up with tape. Police, special forces, and FBI profiling units concluded that a serial killer was operating near Route 40. Uh, and they believed that... Oh, so no, they don't believe. Just kidding. Can't read my handwriting. This At this point, police are now going under cover as sex workers in attempt to gather info. The task force had over 60 people and none of them could find the killer. Damn. Margaret Lynn Finner was our third victim. She was 27. She was also a sex worker. And she went missing on 8-22 of 1988. Margaret went missing um, and numerous people saw her get into a blue van driven by a white male near Route 13. So this is a new route. Normally it's along Route 40, like I've been saying. But now it's a new route and they actually have a description of the guy and the van. Her body wasn't found though until three months later near the Chesapeake-Delaware Canal by a hunter. 
and her body was so badly decomposed that the exact cause of death couldn't be determined. Signs of torture was able to be determined, though, and she was identified by dental records. So she's like the third actual victim that they could really pinpoint as a part of the serial killing. Um, but there were two additional murders after that that they've been able to link pieces together that it's like, mm, yep. So the first additional murder was Michelle Gordon. She was 22 years old. She was also a sex worker. And two days after Margaret went missing, um, she had gone missing. And she also frequented Route 40. Witnesses saw her get into a blue van. And then on September 20th, her body was found on the rocks in the Chesapeake, Delaware Canal. So we have like the Route 40 connection, but now we also have the Chesapeake, Delaware Canal connection. Autopsy determined she had been drugged with cocaine, which did cause her heart to stop before the torture started. I don't know how you feel about that. Like part of me is like, okay, so she didn't have to endure the tor torture. But she was drugged. And if she's never done drugs before, which I don't think she's ever done cocaine because her heart gave out. Um, I'm glad she wasn't tortured, but I can't imagine what her death was like with the cocaine. And my heart goes out to her. It really does. My heart goes out to all these girls. But like, Michelle, she just, that one seems just a little bit rough. Kathleen Meyer, she was 26, and she was from Brookmont Farms, and in September 23rd, 1988, um, she just disappeared. A police officer actually saw her get into a blue Ford on Route 40 at 9.30 p.m., and he was able to write down the plate number, and then he came, it came back to a guy named Stephen Pennell, um, but her body was actually never found. So, on September 14, 1988, an undercover cop named Renee Tashner went posing as a sex worker. She went walking Route 40 in an attempt to run into either the man driving the red, the, the red, the blue van, or the guy named Steven. Um, and then she ended up spotting a blue Ford seven times in 20 minutes. So, the blue Ford was this, like, blue van that they kept you know, having eyewitness accounts. Um, she went up to a more private area and then Stephen ended up following her there and he pulled up beside her. Renee noted that the van had blue carpet flooring. So from there, she said the man looked nervous. He wouldn't look at her in the eyes, but still kept trying to get her into the van. Renee refused saying she was tired, but she did manage to get fibers from the floor and write down the license plate number. And when that plate was ran, it came back to Stephen Pennell, who had no criminal record. So the blue flooring carpet in this van matched the blue carpet that was found on Catherine's body. So with that, um, the police put in a search warrant with Charles O'Burley, who was a Delaware prosecutor, and he approved it. This was a way so that they would be able to search the van because the fibers were enough to get a warrant for that, but they didn't have enough to 
arrest Stephen. They also didn't have enough to really search anything else of Stephen's. Um, while they were searching the van, though, they did find prints that matched blood and hair from the victims, as well as the tape used to, like, kill Catherine. They also found a torture kit, which had pliers, whips, handcuffs, needles, knives, and restraints. It was at this point that Stephen was arrested on November 29, 1988, after the very first victim, which was Miss Shirley, was killed. So, I'm going to get into a little bit more detail about Stephen before we go on. Stephen's full name is Stephen Brian Pennell. He was born November 22, 1957. He died March 14, 1992. Um, there wasn't much about his childhood other than that it was fairly normal and there were no mention of his parents in any of the research that I did. Nothing. He was married to Vera Catherine Pennell. He was an electrician and he also had kids, but his kids' names really weren't mentioned anywhere and where I did find them, it seems to me like they are trying to stay away from him, so I didn't want to put them in there and since they, I only found their names one time, I wasn't about to put, it, put them on blast. So now we can go in and talk about how they were able to arrest Stephen. So, after he was arrested on November 29th, 1988, um, he was charged with killing Shirley Ellis, Catherine DeMauro, and Michelle Gordon. And then he did invoke his right to remain silent. Because he knows what's coming. You ask me. The defense attorney um, started the trial by trying to get van the van fibers dismissed, saying that they were taken by Officer Tashner and that they were obtained illegally because it was just taken from the van um, without a warrant or anything like that. But Judge Richard Gebling dismissed this, saying the carpet was visible to Officer Tashner as soon as she opened the door. So the fibers were completely legal. This was the first trial in the U.S. that used uh, DNA evidence as absolute legal evidence, which I think is pretty cool, personally. I mean, I don't think it's cool that he murdered people. Like, don't get me wrong. That part truly, honestly sucks. But I think it is, it just shows how far we've come with DNA. Because again, like, this was in 1988, and this was the first time that it was absolute. Now DNA is something that we heavily rely on to make or break cases. Um, Judge Gebeline had to set a legal precedent and listen to the opinions of experts and scientists who helped uh, verify the DNA evidence. The strongest evidence the prosecutors had against Stephen was actually from his lawyer who stopped representing him because of the things Stephen had told him. I am really glad I don't know the things that Stephen told his lawyer. Because I can't, I, the reading about everything and kind of like summing down the torture and stuff he did because I don't think anyone else should have to know about it all the way through was really hard. I'm glad that I don't know what he said to his lawyer. Uh, he testified that Stephen told him how he picked Catherine up, paid her for sex, and then killed her. 
He also added that Stephen showed no remorse for his actions and spoke without emotions, which caused a great deal of shock among the jury. The psychiatrist's did I say that right? Yeah, I did. Ruled that Stephen's sanity was questionable, but he was still charged with the three homicides. The jury deliberated for eight days, which set the record for the longest hearing in Delaware's legal history. I'm going to kind of give you guys a little mint hint. He has to go through two trials. He does. So the first judgment happened on November 23rd, 1989. The jury reached a decision and convicted Stephen of murdering Catherine and Shirley, but the jury acquitted him of Michelle's murder due to lack of evidence. The jury decided to not go after the death penalty, but did go for two life sentences. Right after the decision, a bouquet of flowers were sent to the prosecutor's office with a note that read, you made us feel human again from the women of Route 40, which broke my heart because like can you imagine like back in the 80s hitchhiking was completely normal could you imagine just trying to like hitchhike from work and this man rolling up on you like that's so scary so scary and petrifying Ugh. steven's lawyer appealed the court's decision on the grounds that the fiber was obtained illegally and the court dismissed Based on new evidence introduced into the case, the jury did convict Stephen of murdering Michelle and Kathleen later on. Stephen fired his lawyer and asked to represent himself, which was approved by the courts. Do we learn anything from the Ted Bundy case? Like, that man tried to represent himself, and there was no freaking way that that was going to... Like, it didn't work well at all. No. Man was nuts. And now we're going to do it again with this Steven guy. But when I tell you the first thing he did when he was representing himself was he asked for the death penalty. I think he knew when he went to jail he was in for a long haul. Like it was going to suck. And so, yeah, he asked for the death penalty. He argued that the entire Constitution began with a verse from the Hebrew Bible as soon as the court found two witnesses who could testify to his guilt, he deserved the death penalty under Bible law. He then cited two passages from the Bible to try to explain his position. How? Like. What? That's all I, I don't. I don't know what to say about that. So now with the second judgment, where he's representing himself, on October 31st, 1991, Stephen was sentenced to death. In Delaware State Constitution, every death uh, penalty conviction requires a hearing from the Supreme Court. On February 11th, 1992, Stephen had his hearing um, where he demanded the death penalty. He was the first in Delaware's history to represent himself in front of the Supreme Court, and he's also the first to seek out the death penalty for himself. He pled not guilty for the murders and spoke about the murderer in the third person. He said the murderer was enjoying the process of the murder, but not the murder itself. Which, okay. 
The state attorney general objected to the death penalty, but the judges granted the death penalty. He, his execution was scheduled for March 14, 1992. And when I tell you that two people tried to appeal his case, I was pissed, okay? His wife makes sense. I-ish, I don't know. If I were to find out that Bailey was being arrested and detained and all this other stuff because he killed five people, I feel like I would not try to appeal, especially if evidence and himself asking for the death penalty because he did this. I would, I, I wouldn't appeal. I'm, I wouldn't appeal. And so for his wife to do this, I was like, I'm disgusted, disgusted. She appealed um, because she received help from the local branch of the American Citizens Association. And then a law prosecutor was the other person to try to appeal. He argued that Stephen was insane and couldn't fully understand the gravity of his actions. For that reason, the case should be reopened with Stephen not being able to represent himself. Supreme Courts rejected this demand. Before Stephen's execution, numerous reporters tried to get interviews where Stephen would reveal where Kathleen Meyer's body was at. When the execution date was getting closer, Stephen agreed to being interviewed by one newspaper, but his lawyer had to be present. He didn't give up any news, like any new info, nor did he say where Kathleen was bu was buried. Um, it seemed like he really just did it as, like, a publicity stunt. Like, he didn't, he didn't do anything to help. On March 14th, 1992, at 9.49 p.m., Stephen was executed by lethal injection. He was the first person in Delaware to be executed in 46 years. Did I say executed twice? I don't know. And the 165th person to be executed in the U.S. since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. And, as weird as it sounds, he was the first, he was Delaware's only known serial killer. So far. So, might, might go to Delaware next, because that seems like a safer spot. Um, his last meal was crab cakes, steak, corn on the cob, French fries, bread and butter, and a Coca-Cola. Yeah, a Coca-Cola. I, I, like, inmates' last meals always, what, like, intrigue me i feel like last meals say a lot about a person like my last meal would probably have something to do with b-dubs and mcdonald's and in case you're not from indiana or the midwest b-dubs is buffalo wild wings i don't mean to say that like oh if you, like we're the only ones who say that but after moving out to washington and calling it b-dubs i've had every single person from washington be like what's that what's b-dubs and i then then i have to explain that it's buffalo wild wings especially buffalo wild wings ranch that's what I would have to um probably some crab cakes because mm, I do love me some crab cakes but I feel like it does it says a lot about a person like he wanted steak 
and corn on the cob crab cakes like that's all like red lobster like I feel like he went to red lobster a lot sadly though Kathleen Myers's body has never been found but you can send donations to the Charlie project it really is just there to the donations go towards helping find missing people missing bodies things like that um and to be honest I really thought this was going to be a two-parter do I need to talk slower let me know because I did like let me let me count the notes that I've done. One, two, three, four, five. I did fourteen full pages of of notes. I mean, just front, no backs. I hate writing on the backs of papers. So I'm really surprised that this like I felt like it was gonna be longer, but that's it. That's Stephen Brian Pennell and how he's called known as the Route 40 killer. Absolutely disgusting. Um, but, I mean, I guess normally I have more info about their childhood, and this one just really wasn't any. And the victims, I really, honestly, nothing much about the victims besides what I could find through sources that I had to find through Wikipedia. It seems to me like a lot of this is just very, like, hush not hush hush like oh we're trying to scrape it under the rug but more of like it didn't get a lot of media coverage and I feel like that's to do with the fact that he's the first serial killer killer which you would think there'd be more but I feel like there's not as much because it keeps the hype down you know like oh let's all go out and be serial killers now like awaken the evil in some people so I'm excited to do Florida next week. I'm going to try and figure out how I can get more research about people done. Like how I can dive deeper into figuring out who these people are. Like victim wise. And stuff like that. But I'm excited for Florida. And then it's Georgia. Georgia. I have to do the like 50 states song to remember. Um, I can't promise that it's going to be out of this upcoming week. Because I do have the movers coming on the 10th and the 11th but I still will have all this stuff because we'll be traveling to Indiana and Texas and so I'll do some of this research and stuff and post videos from my parents and Bailey's parents house and it'll be easier for me to do because they don't like they get to see Paisley and so I'll be like I'm gonna go in the room and record a podcast and they're gonna be like we will hang out with Paisley forever so I'm excited about that. Wish me luck on the move. I'm going to set all my crystals when it's a full moon so they can charge. And I have crystals that have, are charged completely that my amazing best friend Whitney got me. Um, and they are for traveling specifically. And I'm really, really excited because I mean, it meant a lot to me. So I'm very excited. You guys have a wonderful week, and hopefully, 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 I post soon. I have all day Sunday off. Ooh, I'm so excited. And tomorrow I get off at 6. So fingers crossed that I'm able to do a ton of research between now and next week so I can post another podcast. But I love you guys. Have a wonderful day.